Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Crazy, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape featuring songs about being slightly off your rocker. Welcome back, Alan. Welcome back. All right. Yeah, side B. Um, I'm hoping it's it proves as much fun as last week's episode. Yeah, if you haven't listened to Side A, uh, it's funny. Sometimes Side B is more popular than Side A. I never quite get that. Yeah. We get more downloads on Side B. Okay, yeah, this season it hasn't happened so much, but there have been times where Side A gets no love and Side B is like through the roof. It I mean, is. that would be the first question I would ask as a listener is if this is Side B, where's Side A? It's right there. Hey, you would think. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, we had we talked about last week. If you are listening to, if you haven't listened to Side A, we are talking about crazy. We're not making light of mental illness, which of course we know is 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 an issue, a very important issue, and we're glad that it's the stigma is starting to um, wane, and people are starting to get help for all sorts of uh, you know depression and anxiety and bipolar and and that that those types of, of disorders. And uh, I think in some way we're all affected by that, uh, oh, yeah. either ourselves or we know somebody close to us that that is. And probably some of these songs have contributed to the stigma over the years. Like, um, sure, they probably have. Coming to Take Me Away, Aha, and those types of songs. But we're, we're just going to have a little bit of fun here, not too serious, and uh, finish up some songs that, that, in a very broad and light sense, talk about uh, insanity and craziness and being, uh, what, what was the queen line? Uh, you're sewing with, with just one sewing needle. Sewing with one needle, yeah. <laughs> yep. And um, if, if you have not listened to Side A, just to, to give you a quick... Um, a quick summary of what we are not including. We're, we're not not including songs uh, in a broad sense when we talk about being crazy in love. Um, so you're not going to find, uh, you know... Patsy Cline. I need, I need a lover who won't drive me crazy. Or, or crazy in love. Or, yeah, yeah n- none of that. It's uh, This is... These are all songs about going mad, being mad, um, or or dealing with those who are, I suppose. But again, not not making light of it in any... Um, not making light of mental illness in any any sense of the word. So, um, all right, I'm up. You're up. Side right. B. Side B. Well, I don't think we've have we uh, talked about Billy Joel in a while. Not we haven't had a song not in a while. In a while. No. So we're gonna start with Billy Joel for my first pick, and that's Pressure from 1982 from the album The Nylon Curtain. It was the first single from the Nylon Curtain, and um, to me, I think really the next step in the evolution of Billy Joel's sound. Yeah. 
You know, he had the early stuff. Of course, Stranger was classic. Fifty uh, Second Street, Glass Houses was more of a rocker, and then um, he really decided he wanted to make a, a concept album, a Beatlesque inspired concept album. Oh, and it is Beatlesque. He sounds so much like Lennon on some of those tracks. It's uncanny. And he would again in the next record for an Innocent Man. He would also change it up, and he would pay an homage to uh, to the fifties and sixties groups that he listened to growing up. Yep. But I don't know about you, but you know, my my favorite album it will always be Turnstiles. Um, but it's a little a little half baked in some areas. You know, he produced it himself, and right. you know, uh, um, uh, Phil Ramone had not quite gotten on board yet. Um, but this, I think, is his, his greatest album. This is his best album. Oh, if we're talking artistry, yeah, the Nylon Curtain, I think, is it stands above everything else. I mean, it it it's just a I don't know what he does, and and just the the experimentation. Uh, of his music I mean it, it really does stand alone I mean 52nd Street will always be my favorite um, but no I would agree I, I really do think the Nylon Curtain was where he reached the greatest heights yes, you yes. know as, as a um, and Joel's not necessarily an experimental artist no he's in the, not in the, in the no. direct sense of the way yeah I mean because you have Pressure which to me sounds completely different than Allentown it's mm-hmm. a different different theme Good Night Saigon of course yeah. uh, Where's the Orchestra well, and then, but Side B Side B, which very few people know unless they are a true Billy Joel fan, because none of the singles come from Side mm-hmm. B. I mean, those songs, Scandinavian Skies, oh, yeah, Scandinavian and, Skies. you know, um, I, just, I don't know, it blows me away. I can She's listen right to time, it. Yep. Room of Our Own. It's yeah, a great album. It is. And then Where's the Orchestra, you know, ties it all together with, you know, the... And even Allentown repeats. Yeah, I was going to say, you have the, the repeated melody yeah. of Allentown there at the De- end. Definitely his, his one concept album. Uh, yeah, because I wouldn't say he has any other that would be considered uh, I, innocent man. I would call a concept. Well, yeah, I guess in a broad way, in, in a broad sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is truly an homage to you know. Because even uh, keeping the faith refers back to refers back to all the you know the songs that he's you know paying tribute to. And in the longest time, he says, "I'm that voice you're hearing in the hall," which is a reference innocent man. to innocent man. Yeah. So yeah, it does play around with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. Well, this song, Pressure, can be taken in a number of ways. Um, I've always heard it as an ode to the stresses that we face as a society. As society speeds up, as technology races ahead, uh, and people just kind of break down dealing with what we need to to get through the day. You know, the more and more technology we create, it's supposed to create uh, more free time for us. And in a lot of ways, it does. But I think when we have a lot of free time, we have a lot of time to think about uh, our existential crises and um, who we are and what we haven't become. And so because of that, you know, we deal with a lot more anxiety and a lot more depression and stuff that we just didn't have time to think about when, you know, survival was the number one goal. And um, for Joel, it maybe wasn't that direct. Uh, it, for Joel, it was very personal. And that was the pressure to continue writing hits. Of course, he'd had, you know, The Stranger, which was huge, 52nd Street, Glass Houses, and he was getting to the point where, and, and we talked about this, whereas you have someone like Springsteen and, and Buffett, they're very prolific, and they can just write, 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 and they really have to decide, you know, Springsteen will record 55 songs for an album and have to choose 10 or 12. Billy Joel, not so much. He writes great songs, but sometimes he's really scraping the barrel, especially when you get to some of the tracks on, you know, side B at the end or some of the B-sides. Yeah. Uh, he's always going I'm, He's always going to be one of my very favorite musicians, possibly the favorite musician, but yeah, he has a lot of filler. He, right. he just does. He does. And to the point where after uh, River of Dreams, he, he quit writing music with lyrics. So he did a couple of classical compositions, but 
Uh, he just ran out of ideas. Uh, of course, at that point, he, he, he could afford to do that. But I think at this point in his career, you know, and, and I, w- I should say there was an album in between Glass Houses and Nylon Curtain, which was when so, songs, in songs in the Attic, when yeah. Phil Ramone got a hold of those uh, older songs from the first three LPs and then produced them um, in live versions of them. So I think he wanted to keep the train going. He wanted to keep it going and he had a lot of pressure. In fact, he was speaking with somebody and um, he said, I can't come up with any ideas. And someone says, oh, you know, to just write about the pressure that you have writing these songs. And he goes, ah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. But what I love about the song is it, it not only lyrically a little bit different than what he's written about in the past, but just musically it's really, really different. Oh, yeah. Um, just a very, very interesting song, interesting chord progression, um, really out there for Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. Just very, very, very different. Um, and I remember seeing the video. You met, you know, oh, the videos, yeah. A very um, clockwork orange. Yeah. Uh, inspired video, which uh, with all these different TV screens, I haven't watched it in years, but flashing pop culture and the news and history and things around him. I think he's like, what is what is the name for that type of brainwashing? There's an actual, it's a technique that has been used. Has it? I, I forget what it's called. I think he's like strapped into a chair. Yeah, and, and he's just forced to see the imagery repeated. Yeah, I think he at one point he's swallowed by a couch. <laughs> he's at a party, a cocktail party, and I, gets swallowed by a couch. I don't remember that. He does. He does, does he? Yeah. I have to go back and watch the video. And it, it really was his first big conceptual video. He'd had other videos before. Um, very low budget videos. I'm thinking of um, uh, sometimes a fantasy. <laughs> sometimes fantasy. A lot of them. I were love that video though. All for Lena, which was like a studio uh, version. He had um, Everyone Loves You Now, which was live. But this was his first real conceptual one. Of course, he followed up with Allentown, which was hugely conceptual, and then Innocent Man. That was the, oh, the golden yeah, yeah. age of conceptual videos. But this was kind of the first one. And even though today it would look low budget to us, at the time, you know, it was more money than I think record companies were mm-hmm. willing to spend for a video, and it really helped him out. Oh, absolutely. Kind of transition into the 80s uh, audience. Um, the song, which is in a minor key, which makes sense, uh, I, I don't remember ever watching this. I'm going to have to go back on YouTube, but on VH1 Storytellers, he was talking about this song. And so he played it in a major key for a humorous effect, and it suddenly becomes a polka. Does it really? <laughs> you play it in a major oh, key. Oh, good So Lord. I need to go back and, and watch that, because that sounds like it would be pretty funny. I'm going to have to, I, I've never seen that, yeah. Yeah. But no, this, uh, this, this song will always be one of my favorites. I love when he plays it live. Um, he's got the keyboard, which, you know, the synthesizer, which is working for him in this because it does have that kind of modern feel to it. Mm-hmm. You know, some some of his stuff is a little more dated, like when you listen to uh, what was the one he did for the movie uh, Ruthless People? Modern, uh, modern Woman. Modern Woman or, yeah. or, or uh, that same album. Well, uh, running on ice. Well, I was just going to say, running on ice though is a continuation of this theme. Yes, no, it, it is lyrically, right? But yeah, musically, it's it it doesn't compare, you know, in in any stretch of, of the imagination. I, you know, I almost included pressure. It was on my list for the longest time, but so as you may be right, you know, I may be crazy. I I, I could not decide between the two songs, and then I I just because I couldn't decide, I dropped them. And then you had pressure added to yours, and I was really relieved because yeah. it's been a while since we've included. You may be right to me is more of just I think of a relationship disagreement. It, yeah. Basically saying, hey, I'm going to be who I am. Screw you. It's just, you know, you, you might be right, but guess what? I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my and, life. And you're, and you're right. But, but you know, he talks about um, just 
the, yeah, the, I get that. I the, get ter- it. the terms that he throws. Yeah, out, you can yeah. make a case for I, it. Just might be a lunatic you're looking for. Sure, yeah, sure. You know. No, that fits. But we were. Um, well, we talked last week about how I'm finally getting around to watching The Boys. And so, if you've watched The Boys in season one, there's there's uh, you know all of the episodes have some song that's kind of wrapped around it, opens and closes the episode. And Billy Joel's been on several times. But uh, one of the episodes, Pressure, was. Um, uh, featured prominently. Was too. It really? Yeah. In fact, what was strange was I was watching with my son and of course preparing for this episode and so we're binge watching it. So pressure came up and I'm like, hey, that's one of the songs I picked for tomorrow. And the very next episode, Talking Head Psycho Killer came up. I said, that's another <laughs> one that I picked. And it was just weird because all these songs that I picked for the show were popping up on the boys. I love when that happens. Yeah. I mean, it, it, life has a way of throwing, you know, throwing the the curveball at you. And I, I think I talked about last week too about how some of the time, like, like Celia Dan lyrics as a kid, I didn't really understand all the metaphor, and, and it was kind of out there. Um, this was another song as a kid I just didn't quite get. Like, it, it was almost, it almost scared me, this song. You know, because it was really dark, right? It was really... Well, the video didn't help. The I video mean, didn't at, help. At our, at our age at the time, watching the video... The spooky. It, he's it, talking about Sesame Street and <laughs> Channel 13. Channel 13 and Time Magazine. And, yeah, it was yeah. just real. It just, it, 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 was, it was dark, and it was off-putting, but I loved it at the same time. Yeah. You know, much of that, though, that we just named also dates the song. Oh, yeah. Sure. Chan- Channel 13. I mean, it, you know, if there's a millennial listening to this episode, they don't know what the hell he's talking about with Channel 13. You right. Know? But, right. But it's still. It's, it was a New York uh, station when you only had 13 channels on the, yeah. uh, the, is it the VHF or the UHF, which was the main uh, band. I think VHF was the main band. Because Al, Weird Al did the yeah, U, right. UHF. Yeah, which VHF, was the, yeah VHF was, yeah. was the uh, local yeah. band. Ch- well, Channel 13 was almost always public broadcasting, too. Yeah, in, yeah. In most, right. most, uh, most areas. Um, yeah, no, it's a great song. And it's it feels good to bring him back. I'm going to bring him back in our next episode uh, next week, too. Cool. Yeah, because so. my son said, how does this fit crazy? And so I gave him my explanation. He goes, okay, that fits. So <laughs> I can see how some people would say, well, but I I, I think it's a perfect pick for, oh, yeah. for the episode. Without question. I mean, when, we, when you talk about anxiety, you know, just, you know, f- that feeling of being overwhelmed and, and just the, the panic attacks that, that ensue. That's craziness, you know. That 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 is very much a mental debilitation. So I, yeah, to me, the song makes perfect sense. It's, and to me, it's one of his most interesting uh, melodic compositions. It's, no. it's it's just very absolutely. It's just very different from what he normally does. So yep, love talking about that one. All right, you're up. Okay, well, I give you the first single that Ozzy Osbourne released after leaving Black Sabbath in 1978. Um, the song is Crazy Train. And it's from the 1980 album. Oh, do the laugh now. Do the laugh. Oh, I can't do the laugh. <laughs> Cannot do the laugh. No one wants to hear me even attempt to do that laugh.
he left uh, Sabbath uh, after a particularly heated dispute with guitarist Tony Iommi, um, at which time Ozzy was kind of painted as a substance abuse layabout by his former bandmates. So Crazy Train was a triumph for Ozzy. You know, it proved that he could succeed outside of the Sabbath shelter, uh, but he did receive a lot of help. Osborne got his wrist from Randy Rhodes and his lyrics from Bob Daisley on, on Blizzard of Oz, which was formed as a band, not a solo effort. Blizzard of Oz was actually the name of the band, and the album was meant to be self-titled. Um, the trio wrote the songs together, later adding drummer Lee Kerslake as, uh, to complete the band, and their label, Jet Records, they made the project look like it was a solo effort by putting Ozzy alone on the album cover and his name in big letters on top of the words Blizzard of Oz. Um, the Crazy Train single did have the band name in large print with Ozzy's name above it, but that was as close as they would ever get to being billed as a band on their releases, even though promotional photos and reviews from the time showed that Blizzard of Oz was supposed to be the band name. Hmm, interesting. Um, that appropriation, you know, it was a real sticking point for Rose, Daisley, and Kerslake, but they did stay with Ozzy for his next album, Diary of a Madman, uh, which uh, was issued in 81. Um, but that was also listed as just a, a, an Ozzy solo album. Um, it also listed Ruzi Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge on bass and drums instead of Daisley and Kerslake. So legal entanglement followed, and Randy Rhodes, of course, died soon after in 1982. In the end, Osborne's post-Sabbath output was disproportionately attributed to Ozzy. Um, and, and Crazy Train is generally considered to be his first solo single. Um, Crazy Train, it bubbled under on the Hot 100, never charted. It spent one week at 106, um, but its influence is far greater than its chart showing. I mean, it, it has become one of Ozzy's signature songs, and it really helped the Blizzard of Oz album sell over one million copies in the U.S. over the next two years. Um, it's, you know, to me, it's always been kind of humorous, though, because the songs, it, it begins so badass. You know, Randy Rhodes. Oh, it's one of the greatest yeah, intros. Yeah, without question. And then the song just kind of, the lyrics are not at all what you are expecting to come right, right. from that intro. You know, when he's talking about we all need to learn to love one another. It's right. so, I, I don't know, it's so un like <laughs> I suppose, in that context. Well, and the song now has become, I mean, I think every sports stadium now plays and, it at some oh, yeah. point during a game. What, and, what batter when they step into the, you know, right. up to the plate does not choose, you know, the right. intro to, to Crazy Train as their, you know, signature song. Um, but, you know, can we just acknowledge the brilliance of Randy Rhodes, though? Oh, of course. Oh, my God. You know, like most of the guitar solos he recorded with Ozzy, Rhodes on Crazy Train, he had to double all his guitar parts. That means that he had to play every note of this solo, which is, most people could never repeat this solo. I mean, he really, what he did was so unconventional that, you know, metal bands for years have been trying to emulate what what, what happens at the beginning of the song. He had to do that solo exactly the same way twice to layer it. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why the solo on, on the recording sounds so unique, but... Why don't they just take the same one, duplicate it, and take it off a fraction of a second? I, I, I don't know. But, but That's how they usually, well, they double, tra- they, they double track vocals usually by singing twice over the same track. Yeah. Too, but, but um, you know, despite a career that was cut far too short, Rhodes, he still remains probably maybe the most influential guitarist in metal in, in many ways. Um, I Arguably, I'd say he's one of the greatest, maybe the greatest guitarist the genre has ever known. I mean, he just... He, oh, he was, he was incredible, and we just saw him inducted, you mm-hmm. know, just for yeah. just for he his, passed away um, way too young, right? Yeah, we saw him inducted uh, into the Rock Hall um, 
last last year and you know for good reason he he was just he he was a guitar wizard i i just my hat's off to randy Rhodes. i'm not a big or metal guitar fan. blizzard of oh, oz there we go yeah not i'm not a big metal fan but you know randy Rhodes has always just wowed me and if we're doing crazy yeah crazy train seems like the next logical choice on my list yep so that had to be there yep Good song, good song, and it's, it's funny. It's more of a pop song now. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really yeah. become one of those standards. But it is one of those songs. That intro, you turn it up. You can't not turn up the intro to Crazy Train. It just, oh, one of the greatest intros. And in it's a good song if you're driving history. in the car and you just all sing along. Oh yeah, roll Absolutely. the windows down. All right, good. Well, I always like talking about Genesis, so I had to choose a Genesis song. I, I thought about choosing Mama. That was the one I was expecting from you. Because it sounds so crazy and feels so crazy in the video. But, you know, lyrically, I think it's more just about, like, issues with his mom. So. Yeah, it's mom issues and the prostitute that he has yeah. fallen in love with. Right, know? right. So, actually, I went with a more subtle choice on this one, and that is Man on the Corner from 1981's Abacab. all the different periods of Genesis. I kind of break up in three periods. You have the Peter Gabriel progressive years, right? Yep. You have the later pop years with Invisible Touch and, and um, uh, We Can't Dance. But there's that middle period where Phil takes over on lead vocal and takes over. They all write, so I'm not saying Phil's the only one writing because they right. write as a band. But, you know, Peter Gabriel's no longer writing with them. And it was this really nice period where it, it was a little poppier than the progressive stuff. But still had a lot of progressive. Oh, it still elements. had that prog element, absolutely. And you had uh, like Trick of the Tail, Duke, Abacab, like I mentioned, uh, the, the self-titled uh, Genesis album that Mama comes from. I think it's some of the band's best work. It's just a nice sweet spot between the two. Yeah, extremes. I, I would say it's it. It really is probably the 
the greatest output came from that that middle I mean, period. Uh, follow you, follow me. It's just yeah, oh, it's beautiful one of the song. greatest songs. Yeah. I think that was from, and then there were three when uh, Steve Hackett left the band. Yeah, I, mean, I I believe Invisible Touch was their best selling album. But, yeah, but um, I mean, certainly it was. You know, it was chart worthy. I mean, it was pure pop. And even songs like yeah. "Tonight, Tonight" were, were progressive. Yeah, it, it was. It was. But no, I agree with you. I, that middle period is. Uh, Oh, I, I would say it's my my favorite. I don't know if I mentioned music. it or not, but if you, if you get a chance to listen to the live album Seconds Out, it's uh, it's Phil doing a few of the songs from Trick of the Tail, but then also uh, Peter Gabriel's stuff as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really good live album. Just shows you, as much as I love Peter Gabriel, Phil was able to hold his own, taking over. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, this song, Man on the Corner, was played heavily on AOR stations, uh, barely cracked the t- uh, Billboard Top 40, only went to number 40. Which I thought it would have done better because I remember hearing it a lot on. Oh, I heard it all the time on classic rock radio growing up. Lyrically, the song is about a homeless man who clearly suffers from some sort of mental illness, and um, you know that that's one thing where I'm not a historian of the way we've dealt with mental illness in our culture, but I do know there was a certain point in time. I think it was in the '70s or in the '80s um, when. You know, le- legislatively, they decided, and this is good, that we're not going to keep people locked up if they're not a danger to society, which that's good. You know, we've had a pretty dark past with the way we've dealt with mental illness, especially in the 1800s and, and before that. But as a result of that, it, it, people ended up just kind of wandering the streets and becoming homeless. And um, I would say, right, a, a majority of the people who are homeless, and I could be totally off on this, but are either suffering from, you know, drug abuse um, or, or they're just not mentally right and they're not getting the help that they need they're not a danger to anybody but they are just kind of there well it depends on how you're defining homeless i i hmm. um i mean sure there are runaways too and and, and, right. and, and those types of but things. but you know there there are those that you know families that that do yes. not know where they're no i understand that yeah I, I, I know i know what i'm you're talking saying. more about the person you see under the bridge right. that's been there for 10 years yeah the individual people have tried to help them have tried to get them to move into shelters or and they just prefer and that sounds weird to say because i'm sure they don't prefer but for whatever reason whatever they're dealing with and, and that's why this is a little more of a serious number than some of the more broader crazy songs but uh i just love this song so much and it really speaks to um, the, the plight that we do have. It's like, right. what do you do with people like that? I mean, do you force them? Again, now you're going to go back to the days where you force them to be confined and to, to, to be medicated, or do you just allow them to do what they want to do, even if that means being homeless and, and living on the street, if they're not a danger to anybody? Yeah, well, it's it's the great conundrum because you know, especially in the in the larger cities, you know, it's it's nice or when you are trying to bring in your tourists, you know, so a lot of. A lot of the big mayors, you know, of, of these larger cities, you know, that they, they try to, you know, kind of suppress that. So it, it, it is. It's been an ongoing problem. It's a problem that's not going away. But um, now, Phil would uh, later revisit this theme with uh, his solo. Uh, I think it was off of. Um but seriously, with uh, another day in paradise. Another day, yeah, right, yeah. So um, clearly, this is something that uh, that that Phil was, um, you know, concerned about. And, and a lot of the early Genesis stuff was kind of r- lyrically really out there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, you can see Phil when he starts taking over the lyrics, writing about more issue oriented. He really does. Songs. Yeah, social consciousness becomes a, a major play in, in a lot of the music of Genesis at that time. So. But yeah, just a, just a great, great song. I put that there with Follow You, Follow Me, like in that little period of, mm-hmm. of course, the Genesis self-titled album is probably my favorite 
Genesis album. It's a perfect example of the blending of, of both sides. It really is. I mean, I if I had to pick a favorite album from Genesis, I would probably go Duke. And, and just which is a, my my favorite overall, concept album yeah. from them. Yeah, but um, yeah, the the eponymous you know, the eponymous you know Genesis album though. Yeah, certainly it was. Everything just came together. It was so. poppy, but then you had Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea, which which we've used Silver on the, Rainbow on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and oh. politically incorrect uh, illegal alien. <laughs> yeah, Mama, that's all. Which was Phil's idea of a country song. Really, <laughs> yes. country song. When he when he recorded that's all. Now, if you listen to it and you listen to the rhythm, it's that kind of bouncy. You know, what I think somebody from from England, maybe that doesn't listen to a lot of country music, might Obvi- feel as a country obviously. western song, or that's what happens when Genesis tries to do it. But in his mind, that was a country okay, western. Okay, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't hear that locomotive sound. You know, that's a little so piano, typical. like yeah. a little, yeah. you know, saloon piano. I don't oh, know. That's funny. Okay, right. well, my next pick. Um, there is a lot of self loathing going on uh, in my next song choice. Uh, as Kurt Cobain sings, "I'm so ugly." And takes the voice of a man on the brink of killing himself. I mean, dysfunctional, random, all of that. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the song Lithium by Nirvana. I'm so happy Cause today from my friends are in my head I'm so ugly That's okay so are you Look on me Sunday morning Is every day For all I care And I'm not scared Light my candles In our days Cause I found God Baden made it clear that most of the time he was not singing about himself in his songs, but was pulling from what he saw in other people. Uh, this depressive theme crept into some of the songs on their In Utero album as well, which at one point was going to be called I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. That was actually going to be the name of In Utero. It's a little um, on the nose, aren't you? Think? It really is, yeah. Um, and I'm not making a joke on that point either. Uh, at live shows, Cobain would sometimes put this in perspective and he would ask the audience hey everybody why why so glum so you know there was a group called Nirvana I did not know this that was around I guess from about 67 to 1972 hmm. okay and they had modest success in Europe um, 
that band got back together and they actually sued Cobain's Nirvana in the early 90s for taking their name. I had never heard about this. The suit was amiably resolved and that other Nirvana, uh, Nirvana, that, that that other Nirvana then released a version of Lithium on their 1996 album, Orange and Blue. I don't know if Spotify has this, but I'd be really, really curious to hear what other Nirvana does with Lithium. Uh, To me, I can't even wrap my head around that. Cobain spent a period of, of his life moving between the homes of various relatives and friends. And one of these friends came from a family of Reformed Christians. And in this song, Cobain compares living in that house to having bipolar depression. So, you know, it, it, he, he just, Cobain was, you know, he, he found it hard to fit in and he found a lot of hypocrisy everywhere that he looked. I mean, that, that was Nirvana's mantra much of the time. Um, but Lithium, you know, it's my favorite song on, on Nevermind. Um, Cobain tapped into something, I think, in the culture that nobody had given a voice to before. It was just passionate ambivalence, you know, um, I'm so ugly, but that's okay, because so are you. <laughs> he captured that idea of having incredibly powerful feelings about not having feelings. And to me, that, that I don't know that anyone had ever gone there before, really. Nirvana, um, they performed this at the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards. It was, it was quite an eventful evening for the band. They wanted to play Rape Me, uh, but MTV wanted Smells Like Teen Spirit. So they compromised. Yeah, so they compromised. <laughs> Cobain had to, to check out of rehab that night to attend the show and he had made comments disparaging MTV in the past and at rehearsals a standoff ensued where MTV threatened to go nuclear banning not just Nirvana but other acts from their label if Cobain didn't fall in line Lithium was the compromise but Nirvana made the network sweat because they did play a few seconds of Rape Me before going into their agreed upon song well Jim Morrison very much yeah during the performance um, you know they you know MTV came real close to to just censoring the, their performance, but Cobain uh, went into lithium soon enough that it, that did not happen. And then, after a bit of network-sanctioned stage diving from the crowd, they smashed up their instruments uh, with Novoselic, uh, or Novoselic, rather, uh, you know, getting hit in the head by his bass. That that was a fairly common event at Nirvana finales, I guess. Cobain also had beef with Axl Rose at the show. Uh, Kurt Kurt made sure to spit on Axel's keyboard after a backstage (laughs) altercation. (laughs) So, I gotta love Nirvana. Gotta love Cobain. Well, you know what? And and this sounds weird to say, but what I've read, uh, no one truly knows, I'm sure, the the real Kurt. But from what I've read, uh, it it sounds like he'd be the kind of guy that you and I would just get along with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, for all the grunge stuff, I mean, he was a huge Beatles fan. He was Mm -hmm. a huge, like, we were talking about double-tracking vocals. He didn't want to double-track his vocals, and... um, uh, Butch Vig, I believe, was the producer, um, said, well, you know, Lennon double-tracked everything. And that convinced him, you know, because yep. he, he admired Lennon so much. I think he just, you know, obviously he suffered from, from issues and the drug addiction was what put him over the edge. But he was just a really authentic guy who enjoyed playing music but wasn't looking for the fame and the stardom that came along with it. Yeah, It was his way of just kind of dealing with mm-hmm. stuff. And you, you had the depression, you had the, the drug addiction. I mean, it was a tragedy. You had Courtney Love, which oh, didn't help things. No, it did not. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a tragedy. It was years in the making. You know, his suicide really did not come as a surprise to anybody, unfortunately. His daughter now is older than he was when he took his life. Really? Yeah. Do you remember where you were when you heard that he had died? <sighs> no, I can't say that I do. I was with Doug at Uptown. 
Were you really? Which at Bowling Green was kind of a, like a dance club. I don't know. We would go there once yeah, in a while. What, what the hell were you doing? Well, because we, you, know, you know he and I shared an affinity for Pet Shop Boys. Right, and, early, early 80s night. Was and that, that type would, of thing. Yeah. It, was, it was something like that. And I remember we were just like on the dance floor and looked up and the TVs all switched over to MTV and Kurt Loder was telling everybody that Kurt Cobain had shot yeah. himself. I don't think that I found out maybe until the next day. I, I don't know that I heard about it at the moment. Um yeah, I, I, it's weird. I, our, our parents had the Ken, the Kennedy. They, everyone remembers where they were when Kennedy was was shot. I remember where I was when when Cobain took his life. Cobain hmm. took his life. But yep, not quite the same thing. But no, um, I don't. Not, I'm not trying to equate I, the I know, two I in know. a historical context. I'm saying for our I, generation. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's just giving you a hard time. What I remember. No, I, I totally get it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have a memory of hearing it. I, I don't think that I. I did find out. You know, at the moment, I think I found out the next day. Maybe, um, yeah, I, I don't have a story to go with it. I think your uh, your roommate Chuck was with us too, which I'm not sure why he was, but I think I remember him being there as well. I don't know. I was never in my room with my roommate <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> I avoided him like the plague, and you know, um, that's that's another story for another time. Uh, anyway, Got any tuna? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, my next one. 1996. Were you finished, by the way? I'm yeah, sure. no, okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm 1996 good. from a, 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 a British funk band called Jamiroquai. Do you remember Jamiroquai? I do. Uh, the song is called Virtual Insanity. Came from their album Traveling Without Moving. listeners if you don't remember the song will um, for sure if you watched MTV in the 90s remember this track um, or the video um, very innovative um, looked really high tech but it was kind of cool um, how they came about it the, the visual effect is that the lead singer JK is kind of moving against gravity mm-hmm. really all they were doing it was it was a, a stationary set but somebody was moving the walls and so it's kind of like when you're in the car and you start to back up and you're not sure if you're backing up or the car next to you. It's that effect. And so it looked like it was this really high, high tech kind of crazy, like almost like they were in a plane in zero gravity, but they weren't. Yeah. But yeah, he's, so he's doing this dance kind of going against gravity. He had this big oversized hat. So I'm sure you probably remembered if you don't remember the song. I remember the video. Oh, yeah. um, lyrically, the song fits the theme in a little different way. Um, instead of addressing personal insanity, insanity, uh, this discusses our insanity as a culture. So I'm going a little bit broader with this one, um, and maybe in a little way like like pressure and Billy Joel, because it, it, it's insanity as a culture as we race into the future without considering the consequences. Consequences. So that might be environmentally. Uh, he talks about eugenics and and um, genetics and just not stopping to think about 
how we it's, it's kind of like the line in Jurassic Park, right? We, we're concerned about if we can, not if we should. Hmm. And technology changes so quickly that the ethics don't have time to catch up with it. Right. And so the, the kind of message of the song is that we are now off our rocker as a culture um, because we're no longer taking time to vet the stuff that we, we do. So Can't argue the point. The song won Grammy, uh, the Grammy for Best uh, Pop Vocal Performance by a Group. And um, people who are not fans of Jamiroquai might be surprised to learn that the uh, finale or the final scene in your favorite movie, Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> I say that sarcastically because he doesn't like Napoleon Dynamite, where Napoleon dances in front of his classmates features Jamiroquai's dance track, Canned Heat. Mm-hmm. So last week we had Canned Wheat with Guess Who? We have Canned Heat. And that was also a band, Canned Heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, but that was a Jamiroquai um, uh, record. So yeah, I just wanted to, uh, it, it's a cool song. I love bringing up songs that people have forgotten about. I'll be honest. I mean, last week, um, what was the song that you said uh, surprised you? It was a dark horse. I don't remember. It was one of my selections that you said. Um, you, you maybe it was Vincent. I don't, I don't remember. This one to me was a dark horse. I did not expect to see this on your list. Really? Yeah. Okay. This this one truly. I had forgotten about the song. Yeah. See, that's why I, I wanted I to just, play it. Yeah. It's I, a great song. It had been. Oh my! I. You know, last week I, I talked about the Guess Who that I didn't remember hearing that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably been 20 years, of, of, you know, Go Insane by Lindsey Buckingham. Your list, is, it really impressed me this week. It brought back a lot of memories of songs that I don't know that I ever would have thought about. Them I like doing that. Had you not included them for this two-part episode. And it was one of those where, to me, in 96, so we're out of college for a few years at this point, and I saw, you know, the big hat thing, and I was kind of turned off by it all. I'm like, what's this, you know? But I watched it because the video was so visually interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this is what the purpose of the video is. It got me into the the, the, the groove and the, the, the music. And, and I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a Jamiroquai fan. I had like their greatest hits compilation, but um, dig this song. Yep. No, it's a great choice. All right. Well, my next pick, let me, let me just begin by telling you that any single that begins with someone murmuring, don't you know I'm loco, it, it, it's... Is sure to be good. I, I just stand by that, by that, uh, you know, that simple truth. I, I'm talking, of course, about the infectious hit "Insane in the Brain" by hip hop group Cypress Hill. You're not much of a hip hop fan. No, but I'm friends with Scott. Oh and yeah, he played that song our sophomore year I, incessantly. I have so many memories. I, I would be willing to bet that one 
third of the memories I have of the Yellow House and of this song <laughs> playing in the background. As a little context, our, our friend had a, a little, he rented a, a little Yellow House with several roommates. And, you know, me being kind of a neat freak and OCD, I love the fact that uh, the dorm room, my dorm room, you know, especially living with Doug, uh, was, was nice and tidy. But I could go literally right across the street uh, to this uh, basically animal house. It was. Uh, <laughs> it really have, was. Have loads of fun and then go back to my nice, clean uh, dorm room. But yeah, it was uh, it was right on the main street where people would walk downtown to go to the bars. And uh, there were couches out on the front. A squirrel was living in one of the couches. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we would just sit there on the couches, and our, our buddy Scott would just play this song oh, over yeah. and over again. And they had, they had the keg parties going. I mean, it, it was it was Animal House. It, yeah. it really was. It wasn't a fraternity by any stretch, but um, yeah, if you wanted a, a if you wanted a party on the weekend, you went to the Yellow. They wallpapered the entire interior with cardboard case, a beer case uh, yeah. boxes, which actually was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I like that uh, decor, quite frankly. Um, at least I did. As a sophomore in college. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't <laughs> you know, really fit now. No, I, I don't think the wife would be too happy with it. Um, but yeah, this was released as the first single from their second album, Black Sunday. The song is just, it is just this upbeat, pulsing, almost circus-like track. And it rests on a beat bed of loopy samples and kind of you know, nimble scratches. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, it's a head-bobbing, mid-tempo groove that, that leads them into a brain-embedding hook. And it knocked down urban and pop radio doors in 93. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, the track is built around many samples, actually. When you talk about sampling in hip-hop, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, this song, they they went above and beyond. I, just to give you some examples, a, a drum break from organist George Semper's cover version of Lee Dorsey's Get Out of My Life, Woman. There was a sample of James Brown's grunting from the opening of his song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. A sample of the line Insane in the Brain from Cypress Hill's own song, Hole in the Head. The opening keyboard from Sly and the Family Stone's Life, a sample of the line I Think I'm Going Crazy from the Youngbloods all over the world. And of course, you know, you also had that repeating sample um, in which DJ Muggs initially claimed was a pitched blues guitar. Although shortly after he changed his story and claimed that it was actually a horn. Um, Many sources claim that the alleged pitched blues guitar sample was actually a sample of a horse from Mel and Tim's Good Guys Only Win in the Movies. But during an interview with Sound on Sound, um, DJ Muggs refuted that. Um, he said, that's weird. Everybody thinks that it's a horse, but it's it's not. I've seen a bunch of times on these sample sites. That's a sound I made from a blues guitar pitched. At the time, I used to run some sounds through guitar amps. When I heard that horse thing, I was like, oh, that sounds like it. Honest to God, those sample sites get a lot wrong, he said. I, I thought it was a keyboard. Yeah. He said, I never use that. I don't know where they gather their information. Sometimes they're spot on, but sometimes I'm like, yo, you guys are off. However, less than two months later in an interview with British newspaper The Guardian, Muggs then claimed the sound effect was made by a horn and not a guitar. Um, this has since caused disbelief. A little too much of the green stuff. And that's where this story is going, yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it caused disbelief and that Muggs is telling the truth. And a lot of people really believe the sample may be the horse from Mel and Tim's Good Guys Only Win in the movies. As Muggs has claimed himself uh, that he has, quote, a foggy memory when it comes to the samples used on Insane in the Brain due to the fact that at the time of the song's production, he said there was a hell of a lot of weed smoked. So... Now, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, and I didn't look this up, so, and I wasn't, this wasn't my music scene, 
but the beginning of the song, the rhythm track, whatever sample combination, sounds like the same from House of Pain, Jump Around. Same same producer. So did they yeah. did they sample then? They did not House sam- of Pain. No, House of Pain sample. No, no, neither. Neither it's it's not an actual sample of either song. Okay, um, but it's very very close. Um, and it's the same production team. Uh, they recorded with um, both House of Pain and uh, Cypress Hill recorded. I don't I. I, I saw the name yeah, yeah, no, when I was doing my research, right. but I, I didn't didn't make note of it. Um, but yeah, the same producer. Um, and actually, a lot of people made the comparison uh, when this song came out in in ninety. Which was first? Um, House of Pain came was the first. first. Okay, yeah, House of Pain, especially Jump Around, Jump Around, and Insane in the Brain, very similar in sound. Um, but neither one truly samples the other. Okay, so. that's it. All right. Well, I got done talking about Genesis not too long ago, so why not go to Peter Gabriel? This song deserves to make the list, if only for the Tarzan call. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. Just to hear Peter Gabriel do Tarzan, I'm, yes. I'm all in. This is the song I Don't Remember from 1980 from um, Peter Gabriel. For whatever reason, his first three so- his solo albums were just called Peter Gabriel. So this is, to, to denote it, it's called Peter Gabriel three melt because the cover image is Peter Gabriel's face melting off. Yeah. So from melt, we'll call it melt. about your creepy videos have you seen this video oh yeah yep i had a uh, vhs copy of his greatest hits video collection that i had i bought my first stereo vcr in high school and um bought this because i think at the time you know all the you gotta admit his innovative video with sledgehammer uh what was the other one um, big time big time i mean he just he's an artist he really and, is, and he, yeah. had, he he really took to the the video medium but then I didn't know a lot of his earlier videos that he had done. You know, of course, he did um, some songs with Kate Bush, um, Don't Give Up, at least one. I think he, she also sang on another track did with she? him. I'm only aware of, the, I'm Maybe only aware of Don't Give one. Up. Uh, Shock the Monkey, which was played quite a bit yep. uh, on MTV. And, of course, that was a bizarre video. And uh, this one's no exception. Uh, so if you get a chance to go on YouTube and uh, check out the video for I Don't Remember, um, you <laughs> will be creeped out. Was there ever a video for Salisbury Hill? No. I didn't, not I, that I not that I know okay. it was not on the collection of okay. videos. I was going to say I don't, uh, Red Rain was on there. Yeah, you're, you're going over the videos. I'm thinking to myself, I don't think that there. Yeah. I ever saw one for Salisbury or or Biko. Yeah. I don't think there's a video for Biko either. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Um, this song, uh, it's about someone who's lost the mem- their memory, so I don't remember, right? That makes sense. Uh, and, and this person's being asked a swath of, of questions that they don't remember the answer to. Um, Gabriel was very, very interested in psychiatry and psychology, just as a hobby. Hmm. And he liked to explore those themes, kind of like Poe probably liked to explore those those themes, you know? Right. Uh, and, and, you know, Poe was not a, a doctor, but he liked to explore this idea. And so Gabriel was interested from, as an artist in these, these ideas of, of insanity and some things we're talking about today. And so this is just one of many. There are different songs on the album that also... Um, kind of uh, deal with that. So yeah, it's pretty si- simple um, lyrically. I mean, there's nothing that, that stands out really, um, but it's it's the song, it's the music of the song that really pairs with these lyrics. The, the song was actually built around a rhythm produced by a drum machine. The drum machines were pretty new at the time. And so he was experimenting with the new technology, uh, came up with this, this groove, this rhythm, uh, and then built the chord and melody around it. And that came out to come, the result was I don't remember. Um, yeah, I just it's stuck out to me when we picked this theme. I thought, oh, there's got to be a good Peter Gabriel song for this topic, and I just remember this video when I had that collection on my stereo VCR, and I thought, oh, this is good because we have to have someone with amnesia here on our crazy episode. <laughs> yeah, without question. Uh, and you managed to get Peter Gabriel on the same list as Genesis. Yeah, just see? not just not together. Not so, together. Not together. Um, okay. Um, my next pick I am going to give you The Monster Um, this song finds Eminem reuniting with Rihanna Uh, it's from 2013 from the Marshall Mathers LP number 2 and it did hit number 1 on the Hot 100 I'm friends with the monster the sun of my bed get along with the voices inside of my head you're trying to save me stop holding your breath and you think I'm crazy I wanted the fame, but not the cover of Newsweek. Oh well, guess beggars can't be choosy. Wanted to receive attention from my music. Wanted to be left alone in public, excuse me. But wanting my cake and eat it too. And wanting it both ways. Fame made me a balloon. Cause my ego inflated when I flew see. But it was confusing. Cause all I wanted to do is be the Bruce Lee of loosely abused ink. Use it as a tool when I blew steam. Woo! Hit the lottery, ooh wee. But with what I gave up to get, it was bittersweet. It was like winning a used me. I'm running cause I think I'm getting so huge I need a shrink. I'm beginning to lose sleep. One sheep, two sheep, going cuckoo and kooky is cool key. But I'm actually weirder than you think. Cause I'm, I'm friends with the The Bajan Superstar previously collaborated with Marshall Mathers when she sang the hook on his hit single, Love the Way You Lie, and then its sequel, Love the Way You Lie Part 2. And the pair also worked together on Rihanna's unapologetic track, Numb. Um, Rihanna originally referenced the song on Twitter in September 2013. She, She tweeted that she had just recorded, quote, a monster hook for one of her favorite artists. So that was kind of the, the heads up that the track was, uh, in the making. We hear Eminem attacking his internal demons on his verses, and, and Rihanna kind of embraces her, her inner monster on the hook. 
Eminem said that it wasn't just Rihanna's vocal gifts that persuaded him to, to link up with her again, though. Uh, the, the perception of the record, what it's saying, uh, he thought it would be a good idea to have her on it, he said, because he thinks people look at the two of them like they're both a little nuts. <laughs> that's what he told MTV News. Um, he said, that's one of the things I was telling her in making the record. I think that people look at both of us like we're a little crazy. So there you go. Um, basically, Eminem starts off his first verse with a reference to his cover on the October 2000 edition of Newsweek. Um, he said he, he wanted the fame, but not the cover of Newsweek. And then he says, oh, well, guess beggars can't be choosy. Okay. He, he raps as Slim Shady. The song focuses, though, on Eminem's ongoing struggles with fame. And this is very common in the lives of a lot of rock, rock musicians. Um, you know, he had this desire to live a normal life. And it was this thing where he, he wanted the attention for his music, but then he wanted to, go, to be able to go out in public and... and be able to eat a sandwich and be left alone, right? Um, Eminem admitted during an interview uh, with BBC that he's he's never been an attention seeker and rap seems like a hell of a career choice for him. But he said that's not why he did it, uh, just to get attention. Uh, he said he doesn't like to go in public and walk around and be like, here I am. It's just not what he wants. He said, quote, my dream was for like to be, and you think we say like a lot probably while we're doing our podcast, this is Eminem. Uh, my, my dream was for like to be able like to hear rappers that I looked up to on the radio and be like, yo, what if Jay-Z, whoever, like, what if they like heard of me? What if they thought I was dope? He continued, that was where my mentality always was. So when it all went crazy, it was really hard like to wrap my head around. I had to quote it. I just liked <laughs> I, I, I liked the likes, you know? Um, but yeah, this is a common, you know, there's so many songs that we could have pulled um, just talking about, you know, trying to live with with fame because I, I I can't imagine becoming a celebrity, the paparazzi and what that has to do to your mental state. I mean, you're you're never alone, and everybody wants you. The voyeurism is 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 a constant. Um, Eminem is admitted to having OCD, so you know, all of the, feeling that feeling of being trapped. Uh, you know, it, it comes out very clearly in the song. And it's just an infectious groove. And Rihanna's vocals are pitch perfect. I love the tune. I just read an article about Katy Perry was in Australia and she um, went into a restaurant and the waitress did not recognize her. And she said it was so freeing to be treated as a normal individual. She ended up giving a really big tip because, you know, the person didn't freak out or want a selfie, just treated her like a normal human being. All right. So there you go, folks. If ever you are a server and a celebrity comes to the restaurant, ignore them and you'll get a big tip. You'll get a big tip. There you go. I had a student once that said like so much when she was speaking in class that I, <laughs> I could have really lost on this one. I said, it was like 20 minutes left in class. I said, if you can make it the rest of class without saying like, I will give you an A for the nine weeks. She couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. Uh, I play the quiet game with my students a lot. You know, just who who can win the quiet game? Yeah. Nobody wants to win. <laughs> it's just, you know, as a teacher, you know, you. you that worked as, when the kids were young. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See how long you can, <clears throat> daddy can sleep. Right. Yeah. No, not, not, uh, not with the age group I teach. Nope. Not going to happen. All right. Well, my next one. I had a choice because there are two versions, at least two versions of this song. 
Uh, you told me when we were preparing for the episode that you would not have chosen this version. You would have I'm, chosen the other version. I would have, yeah. So you can tell me why that is after I talk about it. I'm talking about the song Toys in the Attic, which is a euphemism for being crazy. Um, of course, this was made famous by Aerosmith. And, it, and it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine song. It's a good song. But R.E.M., being an alternative music fan that I am, uh, R.E.M. played this song live in some of their earlier sets. And they just always enjoyed playing the song. And it's, it's a lot harder than what R.E.M. would normally play. And what I love about it is it's just, it's so loose. It's so sloppy. And that's charm. It really is. like the anti-Steely Dan. It's not perfect. It's not pristine. It's all over the place. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, I first discovered it when uh, REM released a collection of B-sides and outtakes uh, known as Dead Letter Office. So if you're an REM fan, you're familiar with that. And it has just all sorts of different, you know, odds and ends of things. And I just remember hearing that thing. Oh, man, this is just a great version of the song. So, you know, I had to kind of decide back and forth which I was going to go with. And of course, I went with REM. Um, they really, like I said, they really enjoyed playing this live. They ended up putting this uh, as a B-side. They, they went to the studio and they recorded this as a B-side for their single for Fall On Me off of uh, Life's Rich Pageant, uh, which came out in 1986. There is also, incidentally, speaking of, of Dead Letter Office, there's a song, actually it's the first song on the record, called Crazy, which I could have used also. In fact, it's one of my favorite R.E.M. songs. Um, and, and it, it's just not as, it, it's... Not necessarily about, I'm not even sure what it's about. <laughs> I couldn't make the case that it was actually about mental illness. I feel like that's true of many R.E.M. Yes. songs. So. If you can get past even figuring out what Michael Stipe is saying, because he doesn't really right. enunciate I still, very well. I still have no idea what the hell losing my religion is supposed to be. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a euphemism for losing your temper. And it's like a southern, it? yeah. And because it, I, I've heard so many different interpretations of that song, well, I just—it's weird you said that. I was just got back from vacation with my wife, and and I, she was talking about something, and she said, "Yeah, man, he really lost his religion over that." And I said, "Really?" Yeah. She, she used, and the, I said, "I said, oh, wow. interesting. You used that correctly." And she goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I not too long ago, or whatever, I read something where Michael Stipe said." 
losing my religion had nothing to do with religion. It's a Southern expression for losing your temper. Huh. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Said, yeah, everybody knows that. And I said, I don't think everybody knows that. I didn't <laughs> know that, no. So if you're listening in the South, you're probably like, yeah. But those of us up, those of us up North don't necessarily use that expression. Okay, so that, that is the defined yes okay because all the the religious uh symbolism and imagery in the video well, that does not other. does not align with that Which with that almost, theory it was banned in a lot of countries for it, homoerotic uh, right yeah themes um yeah um sorry i no 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 I that, just, that was a wild detour i just just wanted to use this version now tell me why you would have preferred aerosmiths well you you first of all you gave what you find charming mm-hmm. i find irritating the song, as for, and I like REM. I don't love REM. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the fan you are, but I, I like REM. But the song is just so sloppy. Yeah. It is just, I mean, in the hands of, of Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, Toys in the Attic, it is one of their quintessential, just, it, it's one of their very best rocking tunes, you know? And I don't want Steel It In either. I mean, rock, rock should not be Steel It In. Steel It In is so damn polished. I, I wouldn't make that comparison. Um, but, you know, Aerosmith, I mean, it is just a hard rocker, you know, and it, it just, I don't know, it, it just, it's almost freeing to hear it played, you know, with the guitar riff and just Steven Tyler with his howling vocals. When you get to R.E.M., especially the way Michael Stipe enunciates so much of his lyrics. Or doesn't. You know, or doesn't. Yeah. And, well, yeah, that's that's my point. I, to me, it... it I, at times, it's even difficult for me to recognize that it's the same song because it's so loose. I mean, I don't find it charming. I just find it, it makes me want to hear the well, original version. Then you can go to the mentioned song list because I'm sure yes, it'll be on there. It'll be on there. <laughs> and I, I don't begrudge you choosing R.A.M. by any stretch. I, I like R.A.M. But yeah, this one, I, I would have won Aerosmith. It's just, it's too loose well you can let us know what you think listeners um, just uh, give us a, a, a buzz on social media and tell us who you think is the right choice or what is the right choice yeah no one says there is a right choice no I know there isn't yeah, but. no right choice no wrong choice alright uh, my next one uh, this was going to make the list I actually I very nearly went with the very beautiful cover version by Daniela Andrade um I don't know if you've, you, you're familiar with her, if you've heard her cover. Um, it actually hit the top 40. It, it, it hit number 40 uh, because it was used at the closing credits of one of the episodes from last season of the Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. That was uh, actually how I discovered Daniela Andrade. And I love, it's just her stripped down, very simple with, with the acoustic guitar. I'm definitely putting it on the mentions mentioned songs list um i i had her in my list for the longest time and then i just i second guessed myself and said no i I gotta go with the original the song is crazy and it's by gnarls barkley i remember when i remember i remember when i lost my
huge um it it did peak at number two and it's from the album saint elsewhere um this song folks it, it's about losing your mind and diving into insanity which uh the CeeLo green of Charles berkeley finds is not all bad um he he has explained that the inspiration of the song um was from 2004 he was going through a divorce and he did not have um uh, a deal you know things were bleak at the time and he was going through a, a personal trial um it was an opportunity to be expressive and danger mouse's production the other half of Charles barkley compelled him into a deep retrospection and uh, he said he really appreciated that because with him he knew that uh, his misery had some company and because his music was so miserably brilliant and beautiful to him um he said it was the sound of my soul if you could have taken a picture of it it would have resembled this internal chaos that that was kind of the impetus, the uh, inspiration for the song. Going along with the theme of the song, the music video is done in the style of the Rorschach test. It's a, it's a method of psychological testing. I don't know if we have, I, I don't know what listeners would not know what the Rorschach is. The inkblots. It's the inkblot test, yeah. Um, and it was directed by Robert Hales, uh, who used an ink theme in the video for Jets Are You Gonna Be My Girl as well. Uh, in the clip, CeeLo and Danger Mouse appear throughout morphing ink blots designed by art director Brian Louie. It's actually a very... I've never seen it. It's a fantastic video. Um, CeeLo Green explained to Mojo um, why he believes this song proved to be so popular. He said, It rang true to a lot of my peers and fellow artists because the song was about insisting upon doing things my way and the thin line between being crazy and being convinced that you're right. Um, looking back on this song... Um, CeeLo also told Entertainment Weekly that they came up with the lyrics by listening to the music loop over and over in the studio and riffing on ideas. Uh, they talked about rock stars and authenticity, about Oz the Ozzy Osbournes, the Iggy Pops, uh, the Jim Morrisons. He said it just kind of affected the subconscious. I scribbled down the lyrics and I did it in one take. I didn't think much of it at the time. Um, this song, for as huge as it was in the U.S., it was bigger in the U.K. Hmm. It was number one for... I'd have to look many, many, many weeks. Gnarls Barkley actually removed Crazy from the UK music stores uh, after its ninth week at the top of the British charts because they wanted people to remember the song fondly and not get sick of it. Interesting. It was the number one song in the UK that year, and I guess it, it was at the top of the charts for, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look it up again, but it, it sounded to me like it may have even been half the year. It, it Rain Supreme. So no, it's a great song. Oh, it is, and it's it it is so funky, man. I, I the first time I heard it, I just it was the closest thing to seventies funk that I think I had heard in forever. Great you know? melody too. Oh, it is. Yeah. So there you go, Crazy yeah. by Norris Berkeley. I think that leads me to my last pick. And I think uh, last week we teased that there would be a song about just kind of cabin fever. Mm -hmm. And so this one's stretching it a little bit too on the theme, but I still thought it fit. I'm talking about Too Much Time on My Hands by Styx, 1981. Great song. 
I think it's impossible to listen to the song without clapping during the chorus. Oh, yeah. You, you have to clap during you the chorus. To. Yep, agreed. I was working on the, preparing for this episode, and I had my AirPods in, and I was sitting in my chair, and my wife was wondering why I was clapping to myself. <laughs> so I was listening to the song, and you have to clap. Um, the song is also notable as a bridge from kind of the Sticks 70s classic rock style to incorporating a flavor of new wave into their sound. Yeah. Of course, they'd go full on Mr. Roboto yeah, they a few would. years later. And Dennis DeYoung was then kicked from the band because of that. Yeah. So. But, th- but this was a nice blend of the two. It was. It, it really, really was. was. Um, you know, like I say, lyrically, the song is more about going stir crazy when you're really bored. Uh, you know, there's that expression about idle hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just about a guy who, whatever reason, doesn't have a job. He's going to the bar and he's just going stir crazy because uh, he's he's bored out of his mind. Yep. Um, the end of the track is also notable as Tommy Shaw, who's uh, the writer and the singer of the song, um, whispers the final lyrics and this clock ticks out the remainder of the song. It's a really cool ending. It really is. I, I love sticks. Yeah, I oh, do. Yeah. And it just, you know, I would not see them today because I want Dennis. Same reason I won't see Journey, you know, no Steve Perry. I've seen sticks twice yep, I, without Dennis Young and I've seen Journey three times without. No, I, I, I just can't. And if, if Dennis DeYoung is not on vocals, I don't want to see sticks. I, I just, I love he and Shaw together. I know there was contention between the two of them, but the music they made, um, even Mr. Roboto, because I was at that age where Mr. Roboto was, you know, to me, it was just a, it was fantastic. Oh yeah, you know when I was just Story I was, was at yeah. that age, right? Um, and don't let it end. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, without question, it ranks up there with Babe and Lady as one of the finest sticks. Show me the ballads. way. Yeah, um, but no, I, I just love that combination of the two of them. And now you you have your choice. You can see Dennis DeYoung solo, or you can see, you know, sticks um, with Tommy sticks, Shaw. Sticks with Tommy Shaw, and to me, neither one is quite the same thing. So, but. Um, Man, I would love to see them if they ever actually did reunite. I would be first in line to buy tickets. And I think they're going to appear on our next episode, too. I think so. A little teaser there. Yeah. A song that I picked, but then you picked, so I took it off my list. Quite possibly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so here is my last pick, and man. Another one you stole from me. I didn't steal it. Did not, I? Not I didn't steal from it. I saw your list first, so oh, I didn't okay. put it on my list because you, okay. you did. But this would have been my first pick. Th- this was the first one that I named. I mean, it's not. It was obviously not the first song I right, I, right, right, I right. presented. But yeah, um, oh, it, it was number one. This is one of my favorite tunes by Elton John. Um, Bernie Taupin was never in the room with Elton uh, when he wrote music to Taupin's lyrics. Um, something that Elton John confirmed, you know, in, in the Cameron Crowe documentary about the making of he and Leon Russell's album The Union. Um, I don't, do you ever see that documentary? No, I haven't. Oh, no. it's it's phenomenal, Dave. Um, so, you know, try thinking strictly as a music composer and imagine being handed a sheet of paper with Toppin's lyrics to Madman Across the Water, <laughs> you know, which became the title track of, of course, Elton's 1971 album. I can see very well There's a boat on the reef with a broken back I can see it very well There's a joke in the knowing very well It's one of those that I told you long ago Take my word out my mind and don't you know Once a fool had a good part in the play 
John, I don't, I don't know how he finds the melody to any of Toppin's lyrics, but this one especially, it just seems like, uh, I, I don't know how he did it. Yeah. I, I just, it's unfathomable to me. Well, he, he hit it out of the park because it's such a moody, creepy. Oh, it is. Yeah. In fact, um, I think at one point we were going to do an episode on like haunting songs. Yeah. Maybe we already did. Did we already do one in? No. I, for Halloween last year, we did the Because, like, for the benefit of Mr. K- Kite is you, one that creeps me out. Yeah, you, Madman Across you the Water that, yeah. is another one that really creeps me out. Yeah, you used Benefit of Mr. Kite for the Halloween okay. uh, episodes last season. But, um, yeah, Mad- Madman Across the Water. I mean, first of all, it's the story of a man, presumably in a mental institution, on the shores of a body of water. The man may or may not really belong there. Um, when the patient says, take my word, I'm a madman, don't you know? You know, he's either confirming his insanity or he's making a tongue-in-cheek statement. You know, it, you really, it's, it's ambiguous. You really don't know. Uh, he feels on display when he asks, but it, is it in your conscience that you're after another glimpse of the madman across the water? I love that. Another glimpse of the madman across the water. That scared the hell out of me yeah. as a kid. Oh, it's, it's, it's creepy as hell. And then my favorite line, favorite line in the, in the, in the track is the nightmare black mm-hmm. or are the windows painted? Yeah, yeah, that line it still gets me every time. It's just there is nothing. I don't know that there's a line in Bernie Toppin's career as a lyricist that ever compares to to that image in my mind. Um, and, and you're talking about a man who's seen hundreds of his lyrics put to music by John and his work recorded by Alice Cooper, Willie Nelson, Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby actually has a very jazzy version of this song. Really? Yeah, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's it's a jazzier cut. Um, you know, there's a far rockier version of this song that featured the late David Bowie guitarist Mick Ronson. Um, it can be heard on the album Elton John Early Masters, and then um, it also is now included on a bonus CD of the reissue of Tumbleweed Connection. Um, hmm, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, that one. I, I definitely want to put that on the mentioned songs list if if we can. And countless countless pundits professional and otherwise have tried to analyze the lyrics of the song trying to figure out who the madman is you know because everybody thinks that everything has to be symbolic right. in some way and people have assumed that it's everyone from Nixon to Hitler you know in the end he may be nobody in particular he may be nobody at all uh, Toppin of course is the only one that knows for sure but he wrote the lyrics to this song when he was barely out of his teens um, and you know lyrics like this this is what helped make Toppin a legend among lyricists. I mean, he just, his partnership with Elton John is one for the ages. Tiny Dancer, Levon, um, Levon, I mean, they may be the most popular songs on Madman Across the Water, 
but Elton says he feels the most connected to the title track. And predictably, it wasn't chart-worthy. Uh, but this, it's just dark, it's dramatic. It's unlike many others in the Elton John collection. And I think that's because it, it relies more on texture and effect than musical composition. Uh, musically, it's built more on acoustic guitar than it is on piano with the orchestral strings again being well asserted. And the song, I mean, it nearly fades out in the middle, but then it slowly comes back for one final verse when the lyrics speak of paranoia and self-destruction. I mean, it just, this song is just, it may be one of the greatest that oh, yeah. ever recorded. There's a live version on the Australia concert with the symphony as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, and Madman Across the Water, this was the fourth studio album by Elton John and his sixth overall album released within a span of just 29 months. Yeah, oh yeah, he was crazy. I and mean, you want to talk about prolific music. I, Elton John, in, in those first two years, my God, did he... Because uh, after that was Don't Shoot Me and then Goodbye Yellow Big Road, right, which was a double album. Right. When the hell did the man sleep? Right, well... <laughs> I'm being honest. He obviously had I'm, some substances that well, helped him cope, unfortunately. Yeah, without question. Um, but... Yeah, no, Madman. It's just no. I had a. I, I think I heard the song first when I was probably like seven or eight years old, and I just had this vision of um, like uh, looking across an island, like maybe a half a mile out to, in the sea, and you see a tree line of trees, and then this dark figure would come out of the tree line, and in my mind it was like Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera, or, or you know, and would come out and just stand and stare back at me from the tree line. And then go right back into the woods. That's the stuff of nightmares for I know, a kid. I know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, this was the first song that I, I listed. It, it even beat out "They're Coming to Take Me Away." Ha ha! I knew from the beginning, Madman had to make the, the list. So, but I also thought I should save him for last. So. Yeah, great song. Yep. Great song. I wish you would have played it when we saw him. Yeah, I, oh, would have loved to have heard it live. Yep. All right, well, that's all of our songs for our crazy episode, which means now we need to sequence them in some sort of mixtape order that makes sense musically or lyrically or both. Yes, sir. So we will be right back. All right, so our crazy mixtape. Here we go. Side A begins, um, it had to begin this way, with Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Again, the greatest opening probably in pop music history. Followed by Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. Gimme Gimme Shock Treatment by the Ramones, followed by They're Coming to Take Me Away, Haha by Napoleon 14, Lithium by Nirvana, followed by Psycho Killer by The Talking Heads, I Don't Remember by Peter Gabriel, Madman Across the Water by Elton John, The Monster by Eminem featuring Rihanna, Crazy by Narles Barkley, Undone by The Guess Who, and We End Side A with Vincent by Don McLean. Side B. We begin with Basket Case by Green Day. That leads into Insane in the Brain by Cypress Hill, followed by Pressure by Billy Joel. Too Much Time on My Hands by Styx. Go Insane by Lindsey Buckingham. I'm Going Slightly Mad by Queen, followed by Man on the Corner by Genesis. Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai. Bad Sneakers by Steely Dan. Into Excitable Boy by Warren Zevon. That's the one you said you weren't expecting. That was the dog yes, 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 yes. Excitable Boy. Uh, that leads into Toys in the Attic by R.E.M., and we finish our mixtape with Fruitcakes by Jimmy Buffett. You found a place, we found a place to put Fruitcakes. I did. <laughs> Had to go at the end because it, uh, songs would fade into it. Nothing quite wanted to uh, follow it, right. if, if that makes right. a, no, uh, you know, sense. Um, it is a fun mixtape. I mean, it, really, it really is. I say that after every mixtape that we make, but this one, it is just... I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it now that we've... What's our title? Put it together. That is a good question. 
let, let's go crazy or go crazy or insane in the membrane. <laughs> um, why don't we? Why don't we pay tribute to Freddie? Why don't we go? I'm going slightly mad. All right, let's do it. That good one, yeah. It's perfect. All right, I mean, they they come up with enough. Uh, yes, enough euphemisms. Uh, euphemisms for uh, the act itself. So why not just throw throw it in as the title? Um, okay, so that's that's our crazy mixtape. Yep, and uh, we will next week have an encore episode. We started. Uh, Introducing a few episodes from season one, just to kind of uh, get them get them back out there for those people that maybe are newer to our listening audience. And then after that, Alan, what are we going to? After that, we have a special guest, um, our our buddy Zabe, who uh, he is the the host of the Who Will Save Generation X uh, game show podcast. Yes, he is actually going to be a third. Uh, a third host. We've never had a third no, host. We've never had a guest spot. And Dave and I will each choose only eight tracks, and Zabe will pick the other eight. And yeah, it's going to be a trio, and it'll be really interesting to see what three personalities throw together on one mixtape. And and he told us uh, that he had a bone to pick with us in our show, but he wouldn't reveal it until the episode. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what that is. Yeah. Um, for those that may not know, I'm not sure when it's going to air. I'm not sure when he's going to have it ready. But Dave and I actually, did we ever tell them? We we actually competed yes. against one another on, on Zabe's. Uh, on, it may, on, it may on be out at show. the time of this airing. We may, it may not be because yeah. it's in, um, in, in post-production right now. Yeah, but it was a tight game. Dave and I, we. Don't, don't, don't ruin no, it. No, I'm not, not going to ruin, ruin it. it for anybody. Not going to ruin it. But uh, who won and how they won. And whew, it, it, was a, it was a close game. A I would I would have rather have worked as a as partners yeah, yeah, against yeah. somebody else because we would have won. But, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, we had to compete against each other. And um, if it is out, uh, by all means, look it, look it up. Look for Alan and Dave and our, our competition on uh, who will save Generation X. Um, like, but, it, like I didn't even understand the rules until the end because I don't listen. <laughs> I don't read details. Don't listen very well. Uh, that's okay. You, you, you I'm like this round is what? How many? Do I, oh. You held your own. It was good. <laughs> but yeah, um, we were on. We were featured uh, on on Zabe's podcast. We then reciprocated. We can't wait to have him with us next next time out. And uh, the, the theme for that podcast will be friendship. It will be a friendly mixtape. So um, hope you'll you'll. Tune in and, and give us a listen. And with that, I, just a quick uh, shout out again to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Um, you can find her on, on Facebook. She serves the greater Cleveland area. Um, longtime friend of, of mine and Dave's, and she does amazing work. If you ever need uh, you ever need something painted, she's 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 the one to call. She just she does incredible work. Um, so let her know, Dave and I'll send you. And don't forget, check out our Facebook page, our Facebook group. We do have Instagram, TikTok that we never use, uh, and, and Twitter, which we once in a while we use. And um, please, if you haven't already, take an opportunity to review us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, because that uh, helps grow our audience. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject. And folks, we will see you with a guest host next time on The Flip Side. Mm-hmm.